Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Well, hey, good morning. Good seeing you. So I've got an odd question to start with. What just makes you sick to your stomach? Besides UK basketball, what makes you, maybe that's just me. Uh, so I'll go first. Uh, tuna salad does it for me. And uh, I, I don't do tuna. And man, when you add mayo in there, it's just, I cannot do that. But the problem is, Annie, bless her heart, loves her some tuna salad. I mean, she eats that stuff like ice cream. And I'll come home and the whole house is just permeated with that nasty smell. And I'm like, I got to go to the Motel 6 for a few hours and let this place air out. And uh, so if you go to a Super Bowl party tonight and somebody brings tuna salad, you go ahead and let me know. And that is church discipline right there. That is not right to do that. So for me, it's tuna salad. We all have something that makes us sick to our stomach. But the question today is, what makes Jesus sick to his stomach? All right, so we got the little laughter out of our system. What makes Jesus sick to his stomach? Because it ain't funny. That's what the message is this morning from Jesus. All right, so let's, let's prepare our hearts for what is gonna be a strong rebuke from Jesus, but it's a loving rebuke. Okay, so let's stand as we read God's word, Revelation chapter three. We're going through the letters to the churches in Revelation. Today's the church at Laodicea. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. So that's Christ, the creator himself. This is the word of Christ to his people. Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. So as uncomfortable and as graphic as that feels to say in church, that's how Jesus intends it to feel. And when you talk about vomit, it's like, uh, for a reason. Because Jesus says that's what spiritual complacency, comfortable, nominal, bored, sleepy, apathetic, passionless Christianity, it makes Jesus want to vomit, he says. Now here's the underlying issue, verse 17. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
Jesus says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may not see. So Jesus is clear. If we don't repent of our spiritual complacency, he says he will vomit us out of his mouth. That's a tough, tough message but it's tough love. Parents, we know about tough love, don't we? You say real hard things to your kids sometimes, not because you hate them, but because you love them. Notice now the tone of the voice of Christ. Starting in verse 19, it's a sweet, kind, loving invitation. It's not an angry, abusive, yelling stepfather who's had way too many beers and he's throwing picture frames against the wall and he's mad at his wife and kids. It's it's a gentle, tender, I love you. Verse 19, as many as I love, Jesus says. It's almost like you can see a tear in his eye. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Parents just say, son, this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? That's what Jesus is saying. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me to the one who conquers. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone. So there's nobody in this room to whom this message cannot apply. This is good news. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord Jesus Help us to humbly receive this word from you. Lord Jesus, would you remove any distraction in our mind? Would you silence our phones? Would you silence our racing minds about the game tonight and work this week and all the drama in our lives? Jesus, Captivate us in the next 30 minutes with your word and draw us right into your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you can be seated. A place I really wanna visit one day is Dubai. I know a guy that uh, pastors an English-speaking church there, would love to go. So Dubai is one of the richest cities in the world. Uh, in Dubai, they have the world's tallest building that you see there. Ladies, they have the world's biggest mall, over 12 million square meters, just slightly bigger than the Owensboro Mall. Uh, and if we got any OPD or KSP here, you're going to love this. Uh, speaking of, of, of wealth, the police cars in Dubai are Bentleys, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, and the $1.8 million Aston Martin 177. Can you imagine getting chased by one of those things? The old Camaro is not going to outrun that, right? Uh, speaking of vehicles, they have cars made out of gold in Dubai. What if I rode up into the church in a golden Buick? Oh, y'all believe this. I mean, where they paying that preacher, right? They have air-conditioned beaches in Dubai. They have ATMs that dispense gold there. But here's my favorite thing about this city. They got so much money, like the federal government is so loaded 
they pay their citizens to lose weight. I mean, it's gotta like not be emotionally and mentally healthy for the people. But the Dubai government will give each citizen two grams of gold for every four pounds of weight you lose. In Dubai, literally every calorie counts. They eat a lot of tuna salad there uh, on, on gold plates, of course. In Revelation 3, Jesus writes a letter to a church in a city a lot like Dubai. It's a city named Laodicea, who like Dubai, very affluent, very wealthy, very successful, rolling in the dough and resources. In particular, um, Laodicea was a commercial center that thrived in the clothing industry and the medical industry. They were known for producing only the finest quality of clothing. So ladies, our TJ Maxx was their Lululemon. I mean, you don't, you don't shop for Target in Laodicea. It was Chanel and Gucci and Armani. That's all they wore in the medical industry. Think Mayo Clinic, MD Anderson. That, that was in Laodicea. In particular, they were famous for their ophthalmology, optometry. They had the most advanced medical treatments for eyes. Everybody in Laodicea had 20-20 vision. And they were so wealthy, a massive earthquake destroyed the city in A.D. 61. And so other countries were wanting to send money to Laodicea to help relieve their suffering, like FEMA's trying to come in and and they're like, we don't need anybody's money. They were so wealthy, they denied any outside aid and, and totally wanted to rebuild their city only out of their own coin. So on, they, they inscribed on many of the new structures out of our own resources. So they were a very self-sufficient people. And with that came pride. We don't need your help. We got all we need right here. So the people in Laodicea, in short, they had everything. They had money, they had careers, they had good retirement plans, they had homes in the white picket fence and the puppy dog, they had vacation time, they had the place in Destin, they had it all, they had the good life. But all that comfort and self-sufficiency crept into the church. And Christ rebukes them for it in verse 17. Look what he says. He says, you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize. So Jesus says, you got a blind spot. You're oblivious. You're naive. You, you're, in an, you're under an illusion. You don't, you got all this money and all this stuff, but you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Deep pockets, stable careers, homes and cars give an illusion of spiritual security. But in reality, we could be spiritually bankrupt. We can wear the nicest clothes, but be spiritually naked, Jesus said. We can eat the best foods and drink the finest wines, but our souls can be empty spiritually. 
The church at Laodicea was world famous providing medicine that could cure any eye disease. But Jesus says, you could see 2020, but you're spiritually blind. They were comfortable. They were complacent. They were cozy. They were self-sufficient. They were secure. They were lukewarm. Now, my English teacher from high school that I just saw the other day, Jane Ellen Wilson, she would kill me for saying this. But ain't that the American church? Out of all the churches uh, in Revelation that get letters, the one to Laodicea, I think, is most clearly for us. You study church history. In 2,000 years of the Christian church, the American church of today, and it's a landslide, is the most wealthy, comfortable, secure church in the history of Christianity. You read stories. Other Christians from far lands, from Africa and Indonesia, they'll come to America, and they'll visit a church, and they're appalled. us. $2. If I were to take two $1 bills, crumple them up and throw them out in this crowd, we'd be like, oh, don't let that nasty thing hit me. That may have germs on it. In the majority of places in the world, if I were to stand up in a room full of people, take two $1 bills, crumple them up, throw them in the crowd, people would dive over the pew to grab those $2 because that is how they would feed their kids that night. $2 a day is what the average person in the world lives on. Average income in Davis County is 40-something thousand a year. Let's call it 48,000. Let's say you make four grand a month. That's 48,000 a year. If you make $48,000 a year, you make 100 times more money than the average person in the world. Let's bump it up a little. If you make $100,000 a year, you make 200 times more money than the average person in the world. Let's bump it up. Let's say you make 250 grand a year. You make 500 times more than the average person in the world. Let, let's, let's, let's keep going. Let's, let's say you, you got a really good job. Let's say you make 500 grand a year. You make a thousand times what the average person on the planet makes. And we think we're not rich. We're blind. We're naive. Here's, here's how I know this is true. Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, what's been called the, or the model prayer. What does Jesus say? Pray. What? Give us this day, what? Our daily bread. That text has applied to virtually every Christian in every civilization from the beginning of the Christian church. They read that and they felt it. When was the last time any of us actually had to pray, Jesus, just give me food today so I can feed my kids? I've never prayed that prayer. I haven't needed to. We don't need God for our food. We don't need God for our house. We don't need God for our financial 
future. That's why we got 401ks. And when we die, we leave it to our kids so they don't have to trust God either. Our whole lives are built in America for such security and complacency. You can live and die and never need God. The Bible says very few things, if anything, are more dangerous for our souls than money and stuff. And we're staking, rolling in it relative to the rest of the world. That's why Jesus, some of his most intense statements revolved around this issue of possessions. He says in Matthew 19, you guys know the verse. But I think we just read it and we think, oh, well, that applies to Donald Trump or, you know, the prince in Dubai. Hey, y'all, when Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, he's talking to us. He's speaking to us. So the more money we make, Money's not the problem, it's the love of money. Problem is most of us can't get more money without loving it. The reason most of us, myself included in this room, will never be wealthy, because we couldn't handle it. And God loves us too much. Now there are others for whom he'll test. It's a test. John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, he said, every time I come into money, I get rid of it as quickly as I can, lest it find its way into my heart. Because they knew he couldn't handle it. And there are people in this room, and you can't handle money and success. You're gonna lose your soul. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Why is money and possession so dangerous? Who needs to pray and seek God for wisdom? We got education. We got degrees. Who needs God? Who needs to study the word of God? We got Google. Who needs to desperately cry out and trust God for our futures. We got 401Ks. And if the history is any indicator, you're gonna get at least a 12% return, long, you're good. You can, you can trust the market long term. Play the long game. Who needs to trust God? Who's got time to share our faith and, and to share the gospel with people? Who's got time for that? We got Netflix. Who's got time to, to serve at the local food kitchen? Who's got time to serve at the local homeless shelter? Who's got time to serve the local church? Who's got time for that? We got, so we got to catch up on Facebook and Instagram. We got to scroll. Who needs to confess our own sins? We get to talk about everybody else's sins. 
Who needs to come to church prepared to passionately praise God and worship him in song? Well, we don't do that anymore. We turn on Spotify and we we let Maverick City and Hillsong do it for us. We let the professionals worship for us. And we we become spectators and let the pros on the stage do it for us. Who needs to get on our faces at this altar in humility and repentance and confessing sin? That would require us to get out of our nice, cushiony, padded seats. The majority of Christians this morning are worshiping somewhere on dirt floors. If they're lucky, they've got hard seats like made out of wood. Jesus says, he says, we're lukewarm. If we were as good at developing our souls as we are developing our careers, we would be a terror to the devil and turn this city upside down for Jesus. But if we were as lazy in our business and careers as we are with our souls, every one of us in this room would probably be begging for bread and homeless right now. We're lukewarm. Jesus says in verse 17, for you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize. In other words, Christ is saying, pay attention in particular middle, upper class Americans. We've got this massive blind spot. We're aloof. We're oblivious. Christ says, y'all think you... You got it all figured out. Y'all think life is so good, but you don't realize we're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked because money and stuff give us a false sense of security and they desensitize us spiritually. They neuter the affections of our souls. And as a result, if I can just say this, we, myself included, the American church by and large has become spiritually fat, lazy and sleepy. And we have no sense of spiritual urgency. We, act, we say we believe in the doctrine of hell, but we live as though there is no hell and that real people aren't going there, including some of the people in this room because we're lukewarm. We're kind of spiritually falling asleep in our comfortable pews with our feet kicked up and our snacks and our drinks with spiritual drool coming out of our mouth. And because the church has lost Holy Spirit fire, people around us are going to hellfire. And we're scrolling on Instagram, watching our 17th show on Netflix this year. What are we doing? What am I doing? We have no sense of urgency. We're so complacent. The average American Christian spends more money every year on dog food than we do global missions. And Jesus says it makes him sick. Because Jesus sees the world and he sees that We're anxious about where we're going to take our kids for spring break this year. And there are millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ who will die of hunger this year. And it makes Jesus sick that we're so stinking wrapped up in our stuff 
in ourselves. It's so easy to be a Christian here. Our faith doesn't cost us anything. We don't know anything about political oppression. I mean, if somebody posts something on Facebook that hurts our feelings, we say, you know, we're, we've, we've been triggered or we're a victim, you know. We're, we're, we're so stinking sensitive. And we got brothers and sisters in Christ meeting underground right now in fear for their lives, but they love Christ enough in North Korea, they'll, in Iran, they'll do it anyway because they love Christ. And if I can just say this, we'll skip church if it's cold outside or if Junior has a ball game or if we need to mow the yard at our second house. And all of it makes Jesus sick. I warned y'all, it's heavy, isn't it? He says in verse 15, I know your works. Jesus says, PBCC, look, man, I know y'all's prayer life. He says, I, I see your bank statements. I see how you're ashamed to talk about me at work. He says, I see that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. A.W. Tozer is one of mine and Annie's favorite authors, and he says, there are three persons living in each of us. The one we think we are, the one other people think we are, and the one God knows we are. And God says, Pleasant Valley, I know your works. I know the real you. And look, look at how he frames it. He says, you're not cold. I mean, you're not cursing my name. We're not out getting pentagrams tattooed on the small of our back. I mean, most of us aren't closet devil worshipers, right? I mean, we're not like going to Marilyn Manson concerts, chanting curses against God. I mean, we go to church, we go through the motions, we'll read our Bible sign, we'll pray, we'll throw a 20 in the plate. I mean, we're not like freezing cold. But, but he says, neither are you on fire for me. He says, you're lukewarm, you're, you're cozy, you're comfortable, you're indifferent, you're mediocre, you're sleepy, You're apathetic. You're just like, yeah. And in the New Testament, though, if you'll do a study of the Gospels, when people met Christ, there was one of two responses. When they saw the real Jesus, the Son of God, when you met Christ in the Bible, you either fell down and worshiped him or you demanded his execution. When you met Christ, you either crowned him as king or you crucified him. Because you couldn't be in the presence of the Holy One. You couldn't really encounter the true Christ, the creator, the Lord of the universe. You couldn't encounter him and remain indifferent. He either set you on fire for him or you said to hell with him, I won't let him be my Lord. 
But American Christians have created this third category the New Testament knows nothing about. It's the lukewarm category. We've got this whole thing planned out in America. It's an amazing deal we've conjured up for ourselves. We can, we've found a system where we can get just enough of Jesus to teach our kids some morals, just enough of Jesus to get us into heaven, but to keep just enough of the world so we can have our cake and eat it too. We got life insurance. We got fire insurance. Heaven is our home. But dadgummit, while we're down here, Jesus, don't you dare ask me to give my life for you. Don't you ask me to give my money. Don't you ask me to give my time. Don't you ask me to give my kids. Don't you ask me to give up my sin. The lukewarm Christian is the one who wants one foot in the church, but one foot still in the world. You straddle the fence, that's when you get splinters. And we're filled with them. We want one hand in the side of Christ, but we want the other hand in a pot of gold. And that makes Jesus want to vomit. Now, let's, okay, let's think about why. What? Why is Jesus' spiritual taste buds so sensitive to lukewarmness? What is it about lukewarmness? Because I don't see any other example where Jesus says, I'm gonna vomit you out. So what is it about lukewarmness that is so repulsive to Christ? Well, I think lukewarmness to Jesus, it must just be a slap in his face to all that he's done for us. Let's just think about this together. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. I mean, he sacrificed his life for us, and we want to give him leftovers. No wonder he's nauseated. We would be too, wouldn't we? Parents, what if you gave everything for your kids? What if you worked extra jobs for them? You sacrificed for them. You didn't have nice clothes so they could have nice clothes. You didn't take trips so they could go to college. You sacrificed your whole life for them, and then they, get, they become 18, and they're not grateful. They're not appreciative. They don't want to say thank you. They don't want to spend time with you. How much would that hurt us? How angry would we be? How upset would we be? Well, Jesus is a human Fully God, fully human. Jesus has done everything for us. And when we don't show him gratitude, when we don't give our whole selves back to him, apparently it makes him want to throw up. It, why is it that we're so grateful when we first get saved? Because we were so close to hell and we love the grace of Christ. We're like, oh, thank you, God, for saving me, a sinner. But then time passes, and we start to take our salvation for granted. And we forget how close to hell we were. And we get lukewarm. But brothers and sisters, we can't stay lukewarm. Because we need Christ just as much today as the day we first got saved. You never outgrow your need for Christ. 
there's no place for lukewarm Christianity because we need a white, hot, passion, desperation for him. We need him. Christ loves us. Christ gave himself for us. Christ is God. Christ is king. He deserves our everything. If what is it in Romans 12 too, Paul says, you know, give your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. But what does he say? He said, this is just your reasonable worship. I mean, Paul's like, that's just equitable. How can Christ give his whole life for us and we give him pocket change? Jesus Christ is worthy of our whole lives. All right, now, this is the part that scares me most. This is the part that convicts me the most. Verse 17, and I've been all week long, I've been like fighting with God about this. Verse 17, Jesus says to them, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Okay, so the church at Laodicea, they clearly had a spiritual blind spot. They were oblivious to their spiritual lukewarmness. Here's what scares me. I don't think we're oblivious to our lukewarmness. I think we're lukewarm and loving it. I think we've crafted our whole lives with lukewarmness in mind. We're living the dream. You mean I get to go to heaven when I die, but still live how I want to live? This selfish, materialistic, possession-driven life. Been preaching the gospel for 22 years, and I bet I've heard it a million times. Preacher, well, you sure stepped on my toes today. Good thing I wore steel-toed boots. I mean, I hear it all the time. And I'm like, me too. Every time I have to deliver a hard message, it's been getting me since Tuesday. Y'all just get it once. I get it 15 times. But here's the thing. It's, I don't know if it's like this sense of penance in us. It's almost like sometimes Christians want the preacher to yell at us a little bit. Because it's kind of like we, we know we deserve it a little. Like, yeah, I've been bad this week. Man, I've been lazy. I, and it's almost like, all right, I did a little penance little self-flagellation, like, all right, I, yeah, all right. Preacher, you stepped on my toes. But here's what concerns me. Most of us in this room will say, yeah, I'm, I'm lukewarm. That's me. But we'll leave here and do nothing about it. That's what scares me. We're lukewarm and loving it. And it makes Jesus sick. Brothers and sisters, if this message is true, if Christ means what he says, we shouldn't eat lunch today until we figure out how to be on fire for God. We shouldn't leave this altar until we figure out how to get the fire of God back in our life if what he says is true. So that's the rebuke from Jesus. Now, here's, here's the sweetness of the rebuke. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. 
So be zealous and repent. Craig Keener writes, even when Jesus rebukes complacent, self-satisfied Christians, we must not miss the tone of his voice. His cries of reproof flow not from irrational anger, but from a broken heart. So I wanna read verse 19 again, and let's hear the voice of Christ. And again, I gave this analogy earlier. Don't think angry, drunk, mean, stepdad, throwing things against the wall, screaming and yelling at you because you've been bad. Think gentle, tender, loving father with a tear in his eyes. And he says, Pleasant Valley, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Parents, we don't scold or discipline our kids because we hate them. We do it because we love them. Christ says hard things to us because he loves us. And then look at what he does next in verse 20. He says, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, no matter how lukewarm we've been, if anyone hears my voice, do you hear it? Is he speaking to you? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is what's so beautiful about Jesus. He does not want to vomit us out. Vomit us out. He doesn't want to reject us. Jesus is saying, I love you. I miss you. Jesus is saying, I want to come in and have dinner with you. Jesus says, I want us to be able to kick our shoes off and stay for a while. Jesus says, I want sweet communion. Jesus says, I want you to be on fire for me, and I want to be on fire for you. Jesus says, me and you, I want us to radically know and love one another. Jesus says, I missed you, Pleasant Valley. Do you see him outside that door knocking? Did you know that there are churches where Jesus is not present? This text is written to the church not to the local atheist club. Jesus says, I'm outside the doors of the church wanting to get back in Pleasant Valley. We can build an $8 million building, but I don't know about y'all, but if Christ isn't in it, I don't want it. We need Christ in our church. We need Christ in our hearts. And he's right outside that door right now saying, oh, won't you let me in? I love my church. I love y'all. I want to be with you. But repentance of spiritual apathy is the open door that invites Christ back in. Friends, do we want the presence of Christ in our life? Then we repent. The call to action of today's sermon is repentance of spiritual apathy. So I don't know what else to do than for us to repent so let's bow our heads. The invitation from Christ is clear. Brothers and sisters, we must confess the sin of spiritual lukewarmness and apathy. We must repent of our passionless Christianity. And we must invite Christ back in. We're gonna open up this altar. 
and, and I'm gonna be the first in line, and I'd like to ask our pastors to lead by example and to come forward as well for public repentance. I'd like to ask our deacons to lead by example and let's come and let's publicly repent before the Lord on our knees. I'd like to ask our ministry team to come forward as well. Our prayer team, our staff, community group and D group leaders, let's lead by example. I wanna make this clear. If you grew up in a different kind of religious tradition, when I use the word altar up here, this is not an actual altar. There is one altar, and that is the cross where Jesus Christ died. It is there that he paid for our sins. So th th this isn't something sacramental. Like when you come down here, it's not like there's some magical formula that makes it more holy. I'm not a priest. This, this isn't an altar in that sense, but, but there's something in Scripture about God's people in sackcloth and ashes. There's something about kneeling before our maker in humility and getting on our faces in repentance. So that's why I'm inviting all of God's people now, not just our leaders, anyone else. If the Spirit of God has spoken to you, I want to invite you to come and let's repent together. If, if, if you don't see room for you down here, then you can file in behind these that have already come. Listen, we're, we're repenting for individual lukewarmness and corporate lukewarmness. We are praying on behalf of our church. Maybe you're like, hey, me and God are good. I'm on fire for God right now. That's great. Most of the rest of the church is not. And so let's come and corporately repent of lukewarmness and let's ask Christ and the Holy Spirit to crash upon our lives in this congregation. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.